0: This week on A Lively Experiment. A new poll shows a new front runner in the race for governor. And a big shakeup at the Rhode Island General Assembly with several high profile lawmakers calling it quits.
1: A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr.
0: For
2: over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in
0: Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with the recap of the week's events, Dave Lehman, corporate communications consultant and former television news anchor. Jim Vincent, president of the Providence branch of the NAACP. And former state representative, Nick Gorham. Hello everyone and welcome to A Lively Experiment. I'm Jim Hummel, it is great to have you with us this week. It was a week that felt more like a month with the end of a general assembly session, unexpected retirements of several high profile senators and reps and protests here and across the country about the Supreme Court's abortion decision. But we begin with a Boston Globe-Suffolk University poll released earlier this week. The headline, Nellie Gorbea has pulled ahead of Dan McKee in the race for governor. We'll get to that momentarily. Nick, I want to start with you. The, the the headline, one of the headlines that struck me was Alan Fung beats any uh, Democrat, including Seth Magaziner. I know that's this snapshot in time, but what, what do you take out of that?
3: He has a long history in the district. He's extremely well known. Um, last time I heard, I don't think uh, Magaziner even lives in the district. Um, and it's a purple district, and he's... He's been the mayor of Cranston. Uh, there are a lot of very successful politicians who came out of Cranston. So I think he's he's in good shape. i'm I'm rooting for him, of course. I think he I think he can win. And uh, the climate really couldn't be much better.
0: It might be a snapshot of where we are nationally,
2: too, right? Well, I think it is a snapshot. Uh, and, and definitely it's a purple district. Uh, I live in Cranston. Uh, however, uh, that poll was taken before Roe v. Wade decision was made. And I think if um, Alan Fung is made to make a decision in terms of what he would do in Congress, where if they took the majority and now you have a Republican House, uh, they could ban abortion in the country. Uh, All the states that have codified, uh, you know, uh, abortion protections, that would go by the boards. So we need to know, would you do that? Would you vote that way? Would you vote to end abortion in the country if you... Are in the majority in the House. I think that's a very important question, and it's a question he's going to have to answer directly to the public.
0: Before I get to Dave, he has been a little squishy on that. He's he's tried to straddle the line on. Well, you know, I, I, his answer. People want to know directly because that now is an issue that could be an Achilles' heel for him in the fall. Don't you think or not?
1: I I don't think
3: so. Okay. I don't think so. Well, we'll say, I disagree. Okay. I think
1: I think his Achilles' uh, heel is. Uh, The fact that he is very cautious and very reluctant to tackle something uh, that's controversial and to do it reasonably in time. The the media uh, often ask him tough questions and he'll not have a response. A good example was this week about whether he is a supportive still of Donald Trump. And he didn't respond to that. Uh, I think that looks to, to most people as a sign of weakness. I don't think you want to have a sign of weakness in this election cycle. <laughs> Pardon me. And he's done this on other issues in the past, frustrating the media, which, you know, that, that he can do that. The media is no different from you and me in a sense. But at the same time, I think you need to be, you know, he should have the Trump but answer. But we're there on he,
0: people's behalf. But he should, those
1: true, but he should, <clears throat> he should have the Trump answer all ready to go. And if you look at that snapshot, Seth
2: Magaziner is the leader, and Mm -hmm. not saying that he's going to be the the nominee, but if he is... Among the Democrats. Among the Democrats. Mm -hmm. He's a proven winner. He's won statewide office twice, including those communities. So Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, to uh, sleep on Seth Magaziner would be a mistake. Uh, He's going to be a a competitive, formidable candidate if he is the nominee. And I think that uh, it's going to be a close race, but I think that... That abortion issue is really going to be big. I agree with you, Dave, at the end, because the stakes are high. Now you've got to not talk about the fact that Rhode Island is codified. you got to talk about you in Washington with a Republican House that can now ban abortion in the country. Well, it's got to
0: go through the Senate,
2: too. But yes. In the Senate, too. But it's, uh,
1: you know, it's interesting if halfway he, there. If he does win that, it'll be the first time since 1991 that a Republican has held that this would Claudine be, Schneider. Yeah, this would be the biggest flip in recent Rhode Island history.
3: Allen has had to take many positions over the years as mayor. He's run for governor twice. I think he would have won in 2014, but for Bob Healy. Mm. Um, I think he's going to be able to handle the issue. Um, I it wouldn't surprise me if he came out as as uh, favoring a constitutional right. Uh, for abortion. It wouldn't surprise me, but the fact is the Supreme Court has ruled. It's out of the hands of, it's into the hands of state legislators now. So, you know, um, what you're really talking about is an opinion of the Supreme Court of the United States. And I I don't think, uh, I don't think that that's going to be an issue. Congress could pass
0: something, but Jim, I take issue with that. I think, I think that would be a very uphill battle for Congress
2: to to have a national... It Man. might be uphill, but it's a possibility. Okay. the fact that it's a possibility and that could trump the state's mm. rights, I think we've got we to talk about right. it. it's mm. going to be continued. But uh, that
3: would be redundant in Rhode Island. Rhode Island is one of the most protective states in the country for abortion. So it's almost superfluous to be asking him about it at this point, it, no, about I, whether he'd support it in Congress. We already have the laws in Rhode Island that protect the right of abortion. That was the whole point of the Supreme Court in their decision. Sorry, right, last word. But, but if Congress and the Senate get together, that what
2: we're doing here in Rhode Island in terms of having codified it, wouldn't matter. It would be, abortion would be outlawed,
1: outlawed in the nation, period. All those states that have abortion laws, it would be overturned. Also, your opinion on abortion gives people an insight into your thinking about other issues as well. I, I think people do want to know your, your position on that.
0: Yeah, I think that's going to evolve as it comes. The other thing that um, was in that poll, there are a bunch of stuff about how uh, Joe Biden's, uh, uh, approval ratings have gone down. The other main thing was the governor's race. And what, uh, has happened since the WPRI poll mm-hmm. a couple of months ago is that Nellie Gorbea is now ahead. She's at 24, Dan McKee at 20, and Helena folks I think, maybe a sleeper. Not surprising because she's poured in a lot of money. So
1: mm-hmm. you had a chance to talk to Joe Fleming about this? I talked to Joe Fleming about it. Who did
0: the WPRI yeah, poll?
1: he did the W, back in May, he did that poll. And, uh, I'll mix in what he told me and my own particular point of view. Uh, she may be the one to watch because uh, she has a lot of money. Helena folks. Helena folks, She has a lot of money. She jumped in where the other candidates have not gotten into the, into the media to try to get their message and their, their media out there. And it's interesting to note that um, if they decided to start to go with their own media in the next month or two, we're, they're gonna, they could be in trouble because, as we know in Rhode Island, people are at the beach, they're on vacation, just as they are around the country. But around here, people are somewhat deaf to politics and to policies during, during the summer. So I think, and Joe sort of said the same thing, and so did, a, so did one of the supporters of Dan McKee's saying that, you know, he, he he should have been out here. She jumped. I mean, this is a huge jump from, again, these are two different polls taken a month apart, the WPRI and the Boston Globe poll. But it showed that uh, Gorbea came from two points behind to four points ahead. And for McKee, he shouldn't be behind. He's been the governor now for the better part of, what, three years or so. And so he shouldn't be behind. Here's the other, the other caveat, and this is, I think, a very important point. If the others become late starters in getting their media message out, she's ahead, and if she is actually surging and she continues to pour money into it, they're behind. We are, gonna, we are less than two months mm. from the start of voting. You can vote right. August the 24th. Yeah. And those votes, if you do a late surge, uh, you could be, you could, you could lose a lot of votes. Helena, folks,
2: putting a lot of money into the race, and it's paying dividends. Uh, her campaign activity and her TV ads have been effective because there has been clear movement. If you believe these two polls are reliable and whatever, they're snapshots. Keep in mm-hmm. mind, they're just snapshots. And, um, but I do believe the race is competitive. I think that uh, Helena Fox's Achilles heel right now is that she's drawing really poorly on terms of people of color mm-hmm. who are disproportionately among the undecideds. Just right, because it's thirty-one percent
0: undecided, and yeah.
2: mo- and and people are called disproportionately represented in the undecided, okay. and mm-hmm. she's polling two percent with Hispanics and three percent with Blacks, as opposed to uh, Nelly Gorbea and Dan McKeon polling in twenty-five to thirty percent with both groups. That's
0: an mm-hmm. interesting point on that,
2: Nick. What do you make of it?
3: Uh, if I had to pick who I think is going to win the Democrat primary, I would also say Helena Folks. I Really? I think, yeah, I just think she's got the right resources. She's got a good message. She makes a good appearance. Uh, down the stretch, resources count, mm-hmm. and she also has some of the best pros in the business running her campaign. Tad Devine at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she's got a formidable campaign coming, and it's going to be a very interesting summer to watch.
1: Also, I, I think <laughs> good. I was going to say,
2: I, I think she also has joined real well with Women. Helena oh, yeah. Folks is, but mm-hmm. Helena Bonano Folks. However, Nelly Gorbea is doing really well with women too, mm-hmm. as well as people of color and the elderly. So the fact that maybe Nelly Gorbea and, uh, uh, and Helena Folks are splitting the women's vote does not help either one of them. Is
3: it a, hang on, Dave, is, mm. is it a, is it a resources issue for you? Where do you see Gorbea? Well, resources help a lot. And mm. I think most of the, you know, the the people who are going to, be undecideds down the stretch. The people, and there are a lot of undecideds yeah. in this race. And like uh, Dave said, they're going to be voting in two months. Um, she's, got, she's going to have more resources mm. just because of her own personal wealth that she can pour into the campaign. Yeah. That's formidable. Down the
0: stretch if you're yeah. not mm. have cash, yes.
3: A
1: historical note. 1976, a guy that nobody really ever heard of except his dealership, <laughs> Richard <laughs> Lorber, mm. a no-name, Frankly, a political unknown, never run for office before, came out of nowhere, spent $400,000, which at that time was the highest amount of money ever spent on a primary. 50 years ago, that's a lot of money. Yeah, a lot of money, and he ended up beating the very popular Phil Noel for the U.S. Senate Hmm. in 1976, and he did it by pouring lots of money into it by having a targeted message, put Noel on his heels, and as it turned out, he beat Noel little-known fact, unless you, you remember these kinds of things, he beat Noel in a Senate race by 100 votes. That's why I go back to the early voting. That, those votes are important. We've and then this.
2: ultimately lost to John Chafee,
0: though, yeah, right?
1: Eventually lost to John Chafee in the general election.
2: Yeah. I think there's two points that uh, support Governor McKee, uh, other than the fact that there's power of incumbency, or maybe not the power of incumbency, given this environment any because of inflation. Uh, one is that he, uh, the post was taken before he got the Democratic endorsement. And the second thing is that he's polling really well in the second congressional district, much better than in the first congressional district. So given the fact there's going to be a lot of activity because of that congressional race, that may help him. How much does that
0: endorsement help these days? on the state party? And and if
1: you look at it, it wasn't an overwhelming number. It Hmm. was like 83 to 190 something or 160 something. But the
0: local uh, cities and town committees uh, endorsed uh, Gorbea. Which was interesting. So you never know what's going on. I I don't
1: know about endorsements these days. Uh, They've always been somewhat questionable. You want the endorsement. Remember, it used to to be when
0: I was working at the Journal many years (laughs) ago, they would say they would go up to the fourth floor and they'd kind of like be endorse anybody but me (laughs) because the journal's endorsement was the kiss of death. For years, you get endorsed by the journal, you'd be going down in flames. With all due respect to my friends at the journal. Um, Nick, the other sea change this week was the number of people who are are not going to run again. And I mean, the two most amazing were Blake Filippi on the last night, the Senate, uh, the House Minority Leader, and then the longtime Majority Leader, Mike McCaffrey. He's been there 28 years, expected to succeed the Senate President. You have the Judiciary Char- uh, Chairman uh, Cindy Coyne. You've got some line people have been there. Dennis Algier has been there since Roger Williams, right? So <laughs> what what is your thought? What, I mean, is there a thread to this or do you think it's all individual
3: choices for different reasons? Well, first, I would like to say it's okay to- to leave the General Assembly. We have is there life after the General well, Assembly? Apparently, many of them don't know that because there are so many there who are still, notwithstanding the, the small exodus of some members uh, last week, there are many, many, many more who have been there for 20, 30, and I think even, I think, um, the, the Senate president's president is been there since 1980. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyway. There's life after the General Assembly, I swear, and it's actually pretty Mm. nice, too. Um, But the Exodus, I think, is just, I think McCaffrey dropped out because of the incredible crush of attention that his primary opponent was getting. And maybe he had just had enough. What, he'd been there, what, 28? Something like 28 years. 28 years. Mm, That's a long time. He's got
0: four kids, too. You think of all of uh, them. You think of all the games missed and all of that because he's sitting in a Senate.
3: I'll tell you what, if you put term limits on the ballot in this state, you know how we put separation of powers on the ballot in this state? It passed Mm by 70 to 80 percent. If you put term limits on the ballot, it would pass. I guarantee it. You know, but
0: the tired old saw is the term limit is uh, every two years they get to decide. Except the governor and and the secretary of state and the the, attorney general. You could put it at four years, but the, but the, the General Assembly has to pass that. It's like line item veto. Who wants to give up their power? Jim, what do you think? Well,
2: you know, I I take Senator McCaffrey at his word. He said that he has uh, concerns about his son, or he had concerns about his son, Mm -hmm. and his family. put a different perspective on his life. So, you know... Why not? I mean, people have different perspectives in their lives depending on what happens to them in their lives. Uh, I'd like to just give him kudos because of the uh, work he's done in criminal justice. I work with him. Uh, I remember one day it was seven bills that Governor Raimondo signed in one day, and, and he had a large part in that, criminal justice reform, as well as uh, the gun bills. I mean, it was him who I think, in terms of putting the House bill up for the vote, uh, that I guess to some people would have been great since he has an A rating. He's the a floor rating. manager. He's
0: the floor manager. But he
2: has an A rating from the NRA. Yeah. So it wasn't exactly something he it was an automatic.
0: I echo that because Mike McCaffrey, along with the leadership, we do that show at the beginning of the year to kind of preview. At whenever, whenever I asked each of them, what is your interest that might be flying under the radar, he always talked about justice reform. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not a sexy issue, no, but no, that's no. something that was really important to him.
1: I uh, fleshed out all the names of those who are retiring and I counted eleven. If you do the math, which I did, and I'm not very good at math, that comes out to be ten percent of the legislature is going to be turning over uh, as a result of these, you know, retirements. And uh, I talked to um, uh, House Speaker Joe Shikarchi uh, this week about this, about what his, how he would explain this. And he said, Dave, he said, it is just different now up at the State House. He said, I can't tell you how different it is. He said, there is such a toxic environment not necessarily there but around the state house because of what i mean i'm talking about in the public really not at the state house and he said this has made it so difficult for lawmakers because public policy disagreements become personal Personal. attacks and he blames social media because everybody wants it done now and he said you know social media actually fights against the legislative process, which is de- determined to be a longer process, so you don't meet the meet the fast uh, conclusion or the fast resolution to a bill, but you take the right approach. Now, it doesn't always happen, as we all know. But his point was that there's just so much nastiness up there that families are now affected because of social media. It's I have now. heard
3: that. I have heard that from members, friends of mine on both sides of the aisle, mm. Ah, uh, they just say, Nick, it's just not what it used to be. It's not as much fun. Mm-hmm. It's toxic. Do they fear the for their do they fear for their safety at all? I, I haven't heard that from any uh member. It's more about just the, the toxic uh atmosphere, both inside and outside of the chambers. So um, you know, it's a tough job, but um I've never heard it so negative from within.
1: Well when I when it's I spoke a, it, to the speaker I I, I wasn't sure how he was going to handle my questions. He came right through the phone on, onto me. He said, Dave, it is a toxic environment out there, and our members are really struggling to deal with that, and their families. He brought up the family aspect of it. It's not just about the lawmakers, and you, you've been there. You can take, you know, you, you get thick skin, but your family is now coming under attack, or they're seeing what they're saying about their dad or their mother, who's a lawmaker. And he said, and and ultimately we're losing people who have this institutional knowledge, which you can't really replace right away. Now there might be other people who say, you know, 10% every year would be a good thing because you'd flush you'd them a, out. A, you know, <laughs> you'd have a turnover there that might be healthy. And I'm not arguing either way. I'm just report, reporting what Joe uh, mentioned to me.
2: Well, I think I think that talks atmosphere. We see it in the federal level, with mm-hmm. con- Congress people and senators are uh, resigning, uh, uh, I mean, retiring as well. Uh, however, I see it as an opportunity to get new blood, get new ideas, to get different people involved that haven't been there before. So I'm excited at the opportunity to get new people uh, involved, and we'll see how they deal with the, uh, the toxin environment. But the opportunity being there, to me, is what's most important.
3: I'm with Jim on that. No. It'll be all Republicans getting elected, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't quite say that. Well,
0: so the next stat
1: we're going to nah. look at, and
0: it's always the one every year, is that how many seats go unopposed. And yeah. I, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Maybe it will be fewer. And the Republicans really need to step up, Nick. I know I'm not telling you anything yeah. you don't already know. Mm-hmm. They need to forge somehow to be able to get over a veto. Mm-hmm. And that's hasn't happened for a very long time. That's been a while. Let's do a quick General Assembly recap. Um, I don't need to go line by line, but things you like, things you didn't. The car phase out was probably good. What strikes me, and this goes back to what Governor McKee's on this big solar thing and electric now, and it's, I think a lot of people, Arlene talked about this last week, maybe the gas tax, just the suspension for three months. You can argue one way or the other. So anyhow, let's go line by, not line by line, but kind of issue. And I know you were disappointed something didn't make it this year. It well, no. looked like it was going to go through.
2: Well, Leaboard did not go the through. The Law Enforcement Officers' law Bill of Rights. Law Enforcement Bill of Rights did not go through. But, I mean, actually, uh, I think they Reforms. couldn't... Reforms. Yeah, they couldn't figure out what reform to do. I'm for repeal, full repeal. And Jen Lugo, we're, we're, I'm going to talk about how he's a poster child for repeal in a minute. I'm for repeal. So to the fact that it didn't, something didn't happen, maybe it's a blessing in disguise, maybe in the next session we can get full repeal, which I think, you know, we have in 35 other states in the country we have in the other five New England states. Let's get rid of it. However, um, I think that what I was kind of disappointed in is only $250 million going to housing. You know, the... Uh, you Rhode don't Al- think that's enough? No, I don't. I think Rhode Island Foundation, they recommended $500 million. I think the budget was $13.6 billion, with mm-hmm. a B, and I'm talking about $500 million with an M. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're in a housing when crisis. That, when's that going to begin, though, Jim? I mean, mm-hmm. we, talk, we, talk, we still have people on the street. You can only build so much so quickly, right? Well, I mean, things are happening online, I guess, as we speak, but it, it's like not exactly something you can snap your fingers and all of a sudden have housing. But the fact is, I think you need that commitment for more funds because the, the crisis is bigger than I think we realize, and we need more money for housing. I'm glad to see that there was money in the SNAP incentive pro- program, the food SNAP incentive, $11.6 million, where... Now people can buy fruits and vegetables that are recipients at 50% off because food insecurity is big in, in the communities that I serve. So I'm glad to see that in the budget.
1: So kudos to uh, uh, the people that put can that I, in. Can I just add on to that? Uh, when you talk about the housing and $250 million, Jim, Jim, the, the legislature required, and I don't know how many years ago, that each community had to reach 10% affordable housing. There are only... There are only... I, three I, communities. I, yeah, is it three now? Central
0: Falls, Woonsocket, and Newport. Okay.
1: They're the only ones that have hit it. Now, this was on the books for, for years, I, and I, I did some work in this area in North Kingstown. And it's amazing. It's almost as if there's no penalty for not reaching it, so the problem gets worse. And then when you have the housing crisis uh, combining with that over the past few years where housing is very difficult uh, to find even if you, if you have money, let alone if you don't. And so this is this is a problem that that has become a national issue the last two or three years. It's been a huge issue here for I ag- four years. I
0: agree with you on the no penalty. The problem is, and I've talked to people about this, it's. It's. It, it was an arbitrary number. Somebody just picked ten. No, they didn't base it on any. Oh, this would be great. What is it attainable? Mm-hmm. I mean, if they had said five percent, maybe it, it's almost like if you have to lose three hundred pounds, how do you do it? You mm-hmm. got to do it a day at a time. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, you know what? It's too much, yeah. and you know, just, we're not going to try. So that's a whole separate show. I agree with you mm-hmm. in principle, but that ten percent was not rooted in any type of study all those years ago.
3: Nick, well. Um The phase out of the car tax is a good thing. Got to give credit where it's due. Uh, The downside is the General Assembly is spending more money on government than it's ever spent. Mm. I don't think that's good for the state. Um, I've said it so many times, but I I really think we need to look at the amount of money we're spending on government. As for the the housing uh, bill that they passed, and the 10 percent I'd like to address directly, It's all about what you consider to be part of the 10%. Uh, Coventry, for example, which is a town I live in and I've represented in one capacity or another for many years, um, much of their housing that is affordable is not considered part of the 10%. Uh, For example, there are many, many uh, manufactured home parks Mm -hmm. in Coventry. Uh, They provide affordable housing for many people. They don't count. If they did count... Coventry, for example, would be way over 10%. Um, the real issue, I think- That could be with,
1: fixed easily through legislation.
3: It could. And I put in a bill to do it every year. It never passed. Mm. It's just, which, which segues to the, the real uh, underpinning of, um, of the Affordable Housing Act from the beginning it's supposed to give developers an advantage and that's good if you want affordable housing i agree with that but what happens a lot of the time is they get the advantage and put and allocate only a small increment of their development Mm -hmm. to affordable housing Mm -hmm. and so the law doesn't really have the effect that it could if they really truly enforced it properly. But well, it's, they a whole, don't.
0: it's a whole different discussion, and it's yeah. the Superman building. Like, oh, those—it <laughs> it drives me crazy because how do you allocate it? We're right. running out of time. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. want to short you guys on outrages or
2: kudos. I know. You, let's start with you. I know you have an outrage. No. Well, yeah, I do have an outrage. <laughs> I do. I was going to do a kudo. I'm reading room. your mind. Okay, an outrage, and my outrage is uh, uh, what happened uh, last Friday uh, at the uh, the peaceful rally. Uh, in terms of uh, abortion rights and you have a man that uh, feels it's okay to punch a woman twice in the face. Well, i tell you one thing, where I come from, that's not okay, mm-hmm. all right? In a civilized society, that's not okay. Now, kudos to Hugh Clement and, and uh, Steve Parry, Commissioner Parry and Chief Clement. Uh, they want to terminate him. But again, because of the Law Enforcement Bill of Rights, it might take a year and a half, two years to actually terminate somebody that punched a woman in the face twice at the state house. Right. Yeah, Providence right.
0: police officer who's also running. We don't need to get into all the details, right. most of you know them, but he is a Providence police he's officer. He's
2: a Providence police officer who should know better because he's held to a higher standard. And what man is going to punch a woman twice in the face? I mean, I'm outraged. Everybody should be outraged about that. He should be terminated. It shouldn't be a simple assault and then maybe he can plead down and then that takes six months. Then he can appeal to the superior court, that takes six months. Then the law enforcement bill of rights starts and that takes six months and then it's another year for the appeal to the superior court, which makes two years. Justice deferred is justice denied and we got to get rid of this
0: I'm sorry we only got two minutes left. Go ahead. Uh, And you got
2: Dave too. Don't
1: (laughs) short Dave.
3: I'll be quick. Kudos (laughs) to Blake Filippi. Um, He did a tremendous job as minority leader. He was also a very good state representative before that and one of the reasons he became minority leader is he has a great deal of charisma um, and he's not afraid to take tough positions. We don't have enough people like Mm. that anymore. Um, I don't think that Blake Filippi is done. I think he has a very bright future. I think you're going to be hearing his name for a long, long time. I hope so. You
1: get the last minute, Mr. Lehman. Okay. um, Two quick ones. Uh, I was so embarrassed to see the clips of Rhode Islander General Mike Flynn taking the fifth uh, in this investigation by the the, uh, House uh... when asked a simple question uh... do you support a peaceful transition of government he took the fifth amendment on that you know we love it when we see Rhode Islanders doing well nationally uh... but it boy it, it tears me up to see him uh... being that way and the, other, and, and the second one was uh... the shoreline issue about this legislature where the ocean state we've been the ocean state for almost four hundred years and we still can't decide where people can be on the high tide line on any one of our 410 miles that of shoreline died the, the bill somewhere. it didn't pass uh, the, again we're the ocean state where in the heck are we when we can't pass something like that so people know where they can legally be on the shoreline Right. So it's crazy.
0: you got to talk to House Speaker Ciccari about that in your next conversation. I did. All right, folks, you did. Yeah. Folks, that is all the time we have. Nick and uh, Jim and Dave, so good to see you. And, folks, we will be off next week for the Fourth of July holiday. We'll have one of our Encore editions. We hope you have a great holiday week next week. And we'll be back with a full recap. There's still dust settling up at the General Assembly, and who knows what's going to happen over the next two weeks. Join us back here in two weeks as The Lively Experiment continues.